Hey, welcome back to the Rockman Power Hour. This is episode two. Just want to take a minute to thank you for all the great, great warm wishes about episode one. We are just as excited about this new podcast uh, as seemingly some of you are. So thank you. Uh, it means the absolute world to myself, uh, to Ryan, to Julia, and to all of us who work on the Rockman Power Hour. So I just want to take a second to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Really, really excited about this week's episode because um, this week's episode has somebody that means a lot to me as a fan of Motley Crue and means a lot to my co-host, Ryan, who also is a massive fan of Motley Crue. But before we get to that, um, Ryan, I always want to take a minute before we start this to thank our sponsor. And uh, we're really, really happy to have on board Prospect Strings. Uh, they're joining us again to sponsor this episode. And um, listen, Ryan, you checked out their site. They've got Absolutely. everything you need if you have a, you know, a string instrument. Uh, Prospect are, are where it's at. And uh, definitely suggest go check out Wayne's website. Um, go check out the uh, the friendly staff uh, online at Prospect. They can get you whatever you need. If you've got a stringed instrument, they've got imported bass strings. Uh, they have got uh, great guitars. They've got all kinds of stuff. So go check them out online, Prospect Strings. Thank you again for sponsoring this episode of the Rockman Power Hour. Awesome. Ryan. Yeah. This is the one you've been waiting for. I I didn't realize I was waiting for it until you told me the possibility that like we might get Nikki Six and kind of like a kid at Christmas who thinks his parents are full of crap when they're like, <laughs> yeah, we might get you that Nintendo. I had a safeguard. I'm just like, I'm not going to let this happen until I see the interview on my computer. And I recall editing you at 2.30 in the morning and saying, so you did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was it's it's incredible, man. I fell in love with Motley Crue when I was a kid, but at a time when Motley Crue were kind of like arguably at their worst, you could say, mm -hmm. like during Generation Swine. Yeah. Uh, when Tommy Lee did a, an appearance on SNL because he was uh, with Pamela Anderson, and he's like, yeah, dude, I got this new album coming out, Generation Swine. And he's on Remember the A's with Goat Boy. And I'm like, this guy seems really cool. I'll check out this Generation Swine. And uh, lo and behold, years later, I had no idea that Motley Crue were an 80s band. So it's kind of funny. I fell into Motley Crue at the oddest way and yeah. fell into them backwards. And yeah. It's just funny because I remember, you know, you've worked with me on a lot of my other projects. Um, you know, I've done oh, yeah. stuff when I've had, you know, you've been there behind the camera for so many interviews that I've done over the past, um, you know, with Shome, with iHeart, with Comic-Con. Uh, you know, you've traveled with me to do stuff. We, you know, we, we spent a weekend with DMC documenting his, uh, his record signing for Record Store Day. So we've spent a lot of time together and, I hadn't realized how big of a Nikki Six fan you were, but we got on that subject once, and I think it was I had done an audio interview with him uh, for Show mm. a few years back, and um, and I remember saying to you, yeah, and you you were just like, and you're you know you're pretty, you're not somebody that freaks out. You you like I, I've told you some pretty big stuff sometimes, and you you, you <laughs> seem to be like, oh, that's cool. But then I imagine you get off the phone, and you're like, ah! but <laughs> it's it's the kid at Christmas effect I was telling you about. I'm right. full of crap. I'm full of crap, Jason. I am excited at all times. I just so, put on my cool face. Yeah. Well, that's it. So the cool face is, was on, but um, hmm. but I know that I remember because I have I have a, a friend of mine that works with uh, with uh, Motley's management, and 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 I remember reaching out to her and saying, "Hey, could I get something cool for my buddy? Because he loves Nikki." And I remember I got you one of his books that was signed. I'm like, I'm correct, right? There you go. Yes, See, I remember. Yeah. And let's open it up to that signature page. I want to see that. Because I remember getting that to you, and I remember you were so, so happy. You were so, so uh, happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, if I could uh, 
I can't tell you how many times I've read the dirt. Like yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. One of my dad, my dad's a martial artist and one of his students told me about it and lent me it. And I recall going to a house party that night. This was a true story and reading it on the bus ride there and then proceeding to get to the house party, find a quiet corner and proceed to binge read it all night compulsively, ignoring the said party that I was supposed to be at Yeah, because it was just so compelling. And What's interesting about today in your interview with Nikki is that the set, I believe like chapter two is when Nikki starts to tell his origin story an mm. abridged version of his origin story. And then you're telling me that this book's coming out where it's like, it's all about his old life. And that's fascinating. So, yeah, so this is the thing. So Nikki six, obviously uh, he's an accomplished author. He's he, everyone knows him from Motley Crue. Uh, 6 AM mm. have cemented their, their legacy as a rock band now too. I mean, they've been around for quite a while. Um, and he wanted to tell his story about, you know, becoming Nikki six when he was Frank Ferrana and Frank Ferrana is his real name. You know, before that, um, no one really knew who this guy was. And, and here he is coming from this small town. Um, and we never really heard the story about, you know, before he changed his name. And, and like you said, mm -hmm. it was kind of glossed over, but you did get the idea, uh, especially in the movie, the dirt, a lot of people got to see that he did have a bit of a trouble past. So to yeah. get the, the entire story of what, you know, what drove him to get on a bus, go to LA and, and, you know, start a band, start London and, mm -hmm. and do all that stuff. It, it's fascinating. So he put out this book called the first 21. Um, and, uh, it's how I became Nikki six. And I'll tell you, I've gotten about halfway through it and it's such a good read. And and this is the thing with Nikki too. Um, Nikki's books are really, I don't want to say they're easy to read, but they're, they're very reader friendly. And, um, yeah. and that's, and I like that because, and we touched on that in the interview, but it, it's nice to be able to, to, to have something that you can read. And it's, I mean, like, look, last week's episode was about Dune. Okay. <laughs> Dune is a, incredible novel, but really hard to get through. And and that's the biggest thing with Dune. You know, everyone says, I want to get into the Dune books. There's so many great Dune books. There's that great trilogy, but it's really tough to read because it's so descriptive. There's so much stuff going on. There's so many characters, but you know, you pick up something that Nikki's read and I don't know if he, if he keeps in consideration the reader when he's writing or if it's just how he is, but it's, it's easy to get into and it's comfortable and it's, it's not daunting. It's, it's, it's um, I don't want to say it's because it, it's not dumbed down. It's not at all. It's just, and I don't want to say it's in layman's terms, but it's just it's a, it's an easy read, but it's yeah. compelling. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on in his books. I mean, heroin diaries, like it's heavy stuff, you know. So yeah, but but Nikki's a great read, and he's a great author, and he's a great artist all around. I mean, the guy's done so many things, and when I got the chance to to have him on the podcast, I was really, really excited. And I was excited for you because, you know, listen, we, we both love Motley Crue. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, if, if I had time today, I would have wore the face paint from shadow of the devil and we're like, up. and here's my producer, Ryan. <laughs> that would have been great. You should totally tease your hair. You should have had all that. Um, and it's great because there's such, you know, the four members of Motley are such, you know, individually different characters. You know, you got Tommy who's just talk. They're all, they all stand on their own as, as these, as these characters, but when they come together, Motley is, is, is really special. And that's why I think, you know, whatever people want to say about Vince Neil, um, they need Vince in that band. If Vince isn't there, um, if Mick's not there, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Yeah. You know, it's true, man. And it, it, you got, you're totally right about how Nikki's books are so excessive. Mm. Uh, well, they're, they're excessive, but they're also accessive. Um, uh, because like a Motley Crue song, 
you get everything you need in three minutes. I mean, technically mm-hmm. speaking, could Nikki write nine minute songs? Yeah. Because yeah. he's a great writer, yeah. but he doesn't want to do that to you. He wants you to get up a, a real, uh, he wants to pack a punch with his writing, with his photography, with his songwriting. He's consistent like that. And he's a really, as you could see in your interview, an extremely smart guy. He yeah. is an intellectual, but uh, he also knows his audience and he knows how to speak to us. Yeah. And, uh, and I appreciate it. I appreciate it because I feel like he's never talking down to me. When I'm reading, when I'm reading the books, I find sometimes when you throw in seven dollar words, it just doesn't come off as authentic as the author would would like. I've yeah. tried to read Starship Troopers five freaking times, man. It's the most <laughs> boring book in the world. It's the most rad movie. It, yeah. the, the movie of Starship Troopers is the Nikki Six Motley Crew version of what that book is. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I know, I know, and it's uh, it's it, it's fun. It's fun when you think that this guy he had all the chips stacked against him that he wouldn't even be alive now. And the yeah. fact that he overcame uh, his addiction, the fact that he's had continuous sobriety for all these years and the fact that he's still pumping out content that actually people care about is great. I mean, you know, he's, he's in his sixties now and, and he looks amazing. He sounds great. He's, he, he's writing great you know, he, the, the, he, he wrote a song for this with 6am called the first 21, which was, is kind of like the companion piece to the book. It's a great song. You know, when they wrote the dirt, the t- they needed a song for the, re- for the movie. They, they wrote a couple of songs for the movie, but you know, and the Netflix mm-hmm. movie, I mean, we're going to talk about that too, but man, how good is that song? The dirt. I, I love that song. It's great. It's as when good. People to- like, when people like machine gun Kelly, not so much right now. <laughs> yeah, <but> man, <laughs> God, okay. You got to ask yourself, why do you pick a fight with Corey Taylor? Are you insane? <laughs> like, first of all, you, it's like you don't pick a fight with Corey Taylor because Corey Taylor's fans and Slipknot fans are the the most loyal fans. I think the only fans that I've seen that are more lo- more loyal than Slipknot fans would be Metallica fans. And Metallica fans can be fickle. You know, they're like Star Wars fans. They want everything. They want the original stuff. But yeah. Slipknot fans, they will eat anything that's force-fed to them from Slipknot. They just love Slipknot. They die by Slipknot. Like, live and die by Slipknot. They have Slipknot S's tattooed all over them. They're hardcore. Why do you pick a fight with Corey Taylor? And you know the whole – Yeah, you've seen the – You've. do you know the backstory yeah. what happened? Uh, yeah, yeah, I know the beef. He was on stage and he says, yeah, at least I'm not some creepy guy wearing a mask when I'm 50 years old. Right. And uh, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just like, dude, you got machine gun Kelly. You're, you seem like a cool guy, but you got to start making better life choices, buddy. Well, <laughs> see the thing is, and then when you, when you, when it, what happened was there was a reaction to that, right? Everybody's like, oh man, what's, what's the beef? So the beef was, and, and it was pretty well documented after that because there was a lot of back and forth. He was supposed to be, he, meaning Corey Taylor was supposed to be on Machine Gun Kelly's solo record, which is coming out in December. He, Corey Taylor was asked, like a lot of people asked, you know, to get him to do stuff. Cause he's, you know, he's, he's, if he's somebody that if he's attached to your project, it's, it's going to, it's going to get a lot of eyeballs. So Machine Gun Kelly wanted Corey Taylor to be on the record. Um, Machine Gun Kelly sent Corey Taylor uh, a part to record. Corey Taylor sent back his verse and, Machine Gun Kelly was so excited about it, but wanted to make some little changes. And he said, Mm. I would, I was wondering if you could maybe shorten this part. I I can't, and I don't want to, I don't want to paraphrase, but it was along the lines of like, maybe you could change the part a little bit. Maybe you could try these lyrics. It was this kind of thing. And then Corey Taylor just said, you know what? I think I might not be the right guy for this, but thanks for the opportunity. And he was butthurt. 
Machine Gun Heli was mm. butthurt over that. So he went on and started dissing him. And then Corey Taylor was like, dude, the story's way more than people think. And then Corey Taylor posted screenshots of the yeah. email correspondence where basically machine gun kelly was like oh my god dude you're amazing thank you so much oh we're so happy you did this could you make these small little changes and it's like like for yeah. example okay dmc mm. we know dmc dmc we do i approached d and i said d would you mind doing something for the podcast intro song which you just heard 12 minutes ago okay d sends me something i'm like thank you i'm not looking to edit it i'm not looking to give him any tips i'm like I appreciate it. We will work with what you gave us. And yeah. we did. And I gave it to Brett from, from, you know, I gave it to Brett, uh, Epic Missouri and he, he took it. He made some little changes to the beat, made it work, yeah, but not, not the vocals. To Are the you beat. kidding yeah. me? So yeah. think of that, right? So mm. it's just, a, it's a general respect thing and I get where he's coming from. So yeah. So that whole thing, machine gun Kelly, like, it's unfortunate because he really, really impressed a lot of people in the dirt when he played Tommy Lee. He was phenomenal. Okay. Yeah. He was really good. And it's a I think it's 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 too bad. <laughs> Personally, mm. I think it's too bad. And I hope so I hope that gets ironed out because first of all, Paper Cuts, the first song from the record that's coming out in December, is really, really good. And supposedly okay. the rest of the supposedly the rest of the Machine Gun Kelly record's good too. But right now he's having a hard time. So Let's try to go back to those great times when the dirt came out. Yeah. And Machine Gun Kelly was on the dirt song and everyone was talking about that movie and everyone was like, oh, because remember, Machine Gun Kelly pissed some people off before with mm, Eminem. With Eminem, yeah. Like, again, you take a shot at the king. Like, why are you taking a shot at Eminem? He's going to bury you. And he did. Yeah, he's like standing over Elvis's grave, just urinating on his uh, tombstone, being like, what you going to do, Memphis? What you going to do? Dude. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah. Anyways, going back to The Dirt. Dirt was a phenomenal movie. Uh, the song was great. And it just shows, again, Nikki Six is not past his prime. He's still working in it. Yeah. And Molly Crew keeps uh, – they keep writing these great tunes. And um, frankly, the Saints of Los Angeles, even want to go back to there. I love like, that song. Yeah, it's a great tune. Uh, you were mentioning 6 a.m. I love the song Life is Beautiful. I, well, we – yes, yes. But Accidents Can Happen is phenomenal. Yeah. That song is amazing. And the guy he works with, he's the producer of the last Molly Crew albums, the singer of 6 a.m. And his name yeah. escapes me at the second, forgive me. But, uh, you know, I don't remember anyone's name. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Unless they're strange, unless it's a odd name like Machine Gun Kelly, apparently. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that movie, I wanted to see a Molly Crew movie for so long and for so long in Hollywood. It was the thing in development. And at one point, the, the, yeah. Aust Austin Kutcher was supposed to play Tommy Lee at one point. And uh, yeah. it's amazing that this movie could have been so many things, but it turned out to be. And as much as I complained, like, I'm like, I wish it was longer. It yeah. didn't have this part. It could have been, I could have been a good miniseries. It could have been a great miniseries. It, it, yeah, I agree. But I'm not going to ever – I actually don't have many criticisms when it comes to The Dirt because I got everything I needed from that. It was great. But I wanted more, which I guess is kind of – you know, I mean that's a, that you've accomplished something if you want more. If you're walking away that's, from the movie and you're going, I want more, then they did their job. But yeah, as a, as a selfish crew fan, I was like, I want more of this. I want six hours of this. So in essence, if you want more of the story, you're going to get it in the first 21. Um it's available everywhere now. I, I'm so excited about this, Ryan, because 
you know, we're just starting this off and we're coming out guns blazing. You know, we do the first episode, we've got Denny Villeneuve, we've got Rebecca Ferguson and, you know, everyone's been talking about Dune this whole week. The, the movie is just exploding. Okay. Hmm. And we got Bill from Mastodon who was on our first episode and then we're rolling right into episode two with Nikki six. So I think it's safe to say that we're not pulling any punches with this. Nope. Uh, we are definitely uh, a live wire. Yes, we are a live wire. So without any further ado, here is Nikki six. All right. Really, really happy to uh, welcome to the Rockland Power Hour today, um, Nikki Six. Uh, Nikki, pleasure, hey, to, pleasure to chat with you face to face for the first time, man. How you doing? What's going on? I'm good. Um, I'm I'm excited about this new book because I I love reading your books because I, first of all I think you're I think you're a great author and I think you write um, from a point of view where anyone can jump in. You know, there's some people that write and and nothing against the way you write because I think what, yeah. the way you write is it's it's descriptive, it's emotional, it's honest, and I think that's a great way for people to dive into literature because literature and books can be kind of daunting for some people. No, they they can be and. Um... You, you need to write from a place of transparency. And uh, it wasn't hard for me to make the jump uh, when I, you know, when we first did The Dirt, that was an interesting way of writing because it was our voices and Neil Strauss was writing it out. And we, in my case, at least, I'm not sure about the other guys, I would go through and I'd be kind of like right on top of his writing lightly. Right. Kind of like almost like editing or something. But keeping it uh, honest, but then when I the heroin diaries was like, this has already been written and super transparent, obviously, I, I didn't think anybody would ever see those. And then and the work that we did inside to show addiction and recovery. Yeah. You know, showing things like uh, that, you know, you can slip. Mm hmm. That doesn't mean stay out there. And then with 6 a.m. writing a song called Accidents Can Happen, the transparency in the lyrics and the poetry or the writing, uh, it's its just such a part of me. I, I feel almost like an overshare. Yeah. I just, and, and like, I'm a sponge. So like when, where we live in Wyoming, like in, when it snows, it looks like you're on the moon and I'm driving my truck. And it's like the brain, you know, you remove the alcohol and the drugs and the resentment and, you know, all this layers of stuff. And there's this like innocent, uh, creative brain that needs to be honest. And that's what I'm, I'm happy to hear that you found. A lot of people told me they find that in the books that they could relate to it because I'm not writing above their head. Right. I'm not talking down to them. Um, and I'm not talking up to them, even if it's my heroes, I'm looking you straight in the eye because we're like all the same. We're right. on this, we're on this damn thing together. And that's the thing with, um, you know, with this book, uh, I just got it maybe a day before, two days before we were actually scheduled this. So I didn't get a lot of time to dive in, but, um, I got to read, you know, and I love the way you frame this, you know, you talk about never played Dodger stadium. You go through this whole thing looks like I'm going to be playing Dodger Stadium. So just that as a story was great. Um, yeah. But I'm dying to dive into this because this is a story, you know, the first 21, this is a story where people might not know Frank, you know, they know Nikki, but they don't know Frank. And, right. and if you want to really know more about Nikki, you got to know who Frank is. 
Right. And that's kind of back to that transparency thing. Even when we were looking for photos and, you know, finding my first girlfriend and finding my first best friends and this person and family members, like there was this whole series of things that happened to me that I am positive has happened to almost everybody, male or female. Yeah. Someone in their family has already decided what they're going to look like. In my case, my grandfather born in 1927 and my grandmother, they were basically my mom and dad. They raised me. Well, when I started seeing things like Aerosmith and the Stones and, you know, all I'm like, now those guys look cool. I don't want to roll this flat top anymore. (laughs) And I'm not into working on the potato farm for the rest of my life. So you start dreaming and the struggle of growing your hair out is something that we just all kind of like, Oh yeah, I remember I had a bad haircut. I'm like, put it in the book. <laughs> like I just like right in there, another bad haircut. There I am. And I, and I remember when I was like, the teacher's like, uh, he's just squinting all the time. He can't see the, the chalkboard. So I had to get glasses. Mm-hmm. And when you're in Jerome, Idaho or twin falls, Idaho, your chances of getting cool glasses are zero. You get basically what what they have at Sears, right? I, I, I (laughs) thought until I saw these photos recently that my glasses looked like Elvis. Mm. Right. And I, my hair was like long and I was like, yeah, it's kind of like Keith Richards. I'm like Elvis Keith Richards. (laughs) I look back on those photos, dude. I'm, I'm lucky anybody had even talked about, I'm a serial killer. (laughs) hundred percent a serial killer, man. Put me on a Greyhound bus to go to LA. There's serial killers and serial killers. That's it. Would you like to see my collection of birds? Yes. Yes. I have these cattails I've been saving. So you, um, you know, uh, obviously this last year and a half has had a lot of people reflect and um, I've seen, you know, I've seen a lot of people clean things out, go through mementos and someone like you, you must have so much of that. You know, you must have so many memories, so many things that are boxed away. And when you're rolling, you know, like the way you've been rolling for all these years, when you have a minute to stop and you're forced to stop, a lot of people go through and they dig out the shoe boxes and they start. Was, was that kind of the motivation for this? I mean, in a, in a, in kind of a, a overview in a sense. Yeah. Previous to that years ago, um, me and my wife were taught, I have, I have five children. Wow. I have four older kids in college working and they they're out of the house and they're doing their own thing. And we, uh, me and my wife wanted to have a baby again, you know, and, and, or a baby, it was, you know, we'd never had a, ch- a child together. Right. So I was with some friends and this had to be four years ago. And they were telling me about, they were buying bulletproof backpacks for their kids to go back to school. And I went back and I talked to Courtney and I said, you know, I raised my kids in LA it was a different LA at the time, you know, uh, school shootings. We didn't, it wasn't a thing. The football player on the star football player overdosing on fentanyl was not a thing. Um, and we had moved to an area outside of Los Angeles where it really wasn't a thing for that actual reason. Then we started talking about getting, uh, another home, a small home, a getaway home in the mountains for the family or down on the beach. And so this was happening. And then the pandemic, and this was going to happen after we did the Motley Crew tour. 
So we were looking and talking, the pandemic happened. All the kids moved back to the house. Everybody moved back. We were completely three and a half, four months, complete lockdown. That was the gift. Right. We were making dinner together. They weren't coming over on Sunday, hang out for a couple hours, jump in the pool and go home to their apartment. They were coming and not going. Mm. And there was a lot of conversations and a lot of memories and a lot about dreams. And when life started getting back, we started, we knew there wasn't going to be another Motley Crue tour. We started looking and we found uh, Wyoming and uh, we went there and fell in love. And it was very close to where I was raised. We talk about in the book in Jerome, Idaho and Twin Falls, Idaho. You know, by as a crow flies, it's two hours from my house. Right. That's where the idea for the book came. So once we'd moved to Wyoming, we were up there and it kind of got quiet and kind of started working on some different projects. And I was, we have, we ended up with a lot of land. I'm sitting in back like acreage and I'm overlooking the mountains. And I just thought this thought was simple. Where, where did everybody go? Yeah. And I was like, it's 40 years. Like what happened to, and, and then cousins and friends and this and that. And it wasn't like, oh, I made it and see you later. Peace out. It was like, life just gets busy. And I, I, I like to write couplets a lot, you know, two, three sentences. And I, I remember writing to my friends, it's not you that got lost. It's just once I started flying, I forgot how to stop. And I was like, I want to, I want to go back and I want to retrace those roots. And I started talking to my manager about it and how there was all these like lessons in it that I later applied in my life and the Motley Crue and the building blocks of fascination of falling in love with music and lyricists and uh, authors and fashion and how that actually ended up being a version of all that ended up being what I did. And so it's not like, yes, it's about the innocence of being young and the discovery and coming of age, but it's also about being able to go look back on it and go, wow, I didn't even know what I was doing, but yeah. I, I kind of was building it. And, and, you know, they always say um, hindsight's twenty twenty. So when you look back, it's easy now to say, well, this led me to here. And, and it's kind of fun in a way, I'm sure to trace what led you to here and how you get, you know, all that. And, and being someone, I mean, I moved to Los Angeles in 1999 from Montreal, Canada with my band. And we all lived in an apartment in Hollywood and we played the Troubadour, we played the coconut teaser. And I did all that. And we got the record deal and we did Ozfest. So I know that feeling, you know, um, and it's an incredible thing, but when you're doing all that, you're not enjoying it. All you're doing is going Do to, next thing, next thing. And you don't savor it. And it's almost like when you're forced away from it, I had a kid um, and that made me say, I don't want to be on the road. I want to be here for that kid. And I went from touring 10 months a year, you know, nonstop to working at a sunglass hut and a fucking mall. And it was like humbling. But I think those kind of things, you know, going back to your roots, getting your, taking yourself out of the situation is humbling. And it's, it's great for the soul because like you said, you know, we don't look up, we don't look down. We look at people face to face because we're all the same in essence. We all have stories. And what I've always gotten from you, from your writing, from your music, and just from the way I've seen you comport yourself, you like people. You're a people guy. Yeah, yeah I do like, I do like, I find people fascinating. Same. Everybody's got a story. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to fantasize. Uh, now it sounds absolutely 
terrifying with with uh, COVID. But I used to fantasize about living in Paris, yeah, <clears throat> and sitting in a coffee shop and writing about that man and that woman and the way that shadow falls across the bridge of the whatever two lovers and death and everything else that comes and just sit there and drink coffee and write or New York, you know, and it's actually the opposite for me. I love people. Yeah. I need to be removed from that to observe better, to be a better observer. And then when you can observe, you can then document photography, however you want to, you know, document it with a riff on a guitar. I feel more creative now than I've felt in decades. That's amazing. That's great. Because a lot of guys who have gone through what you've gone through, have gotten to the point that you've gotten to, it's the opposite. They kind of might lose that passion, yeah. but that just shows, you know, the driving force behind Motley Crue obviously well, was you. I, I will say, you know, you know, we, we evolve, right? Yeah. Motley Crue is the mothership, will always be the mothership. Um, is the greatest thing that ever happened to me in a, as a career and meeting Tommy, Vince and Mick would change my life forever. And I, I would like to think that uh, I internally, you know, also changed their life because it was the four of us, right? It was a gang of four, literally. Um, but like the idea at 62 uh, someone's like, man, you should go make shout at the devil. Just make that one again. <laughs> and I get it. But I kind of the idea of a album and a comic book series Mm. and maybe episodic thriller, maybe writing a progressive sci-fi book that ties in with heavy metal with different music. I just can't do the one thing anymore. You know, I hear you book writing the book. It was James and DJ agreeing to write a song uh, us together called the first 21 that emphasizes the energy of the book that they also experienced in their first 21 years um, is just so, you know, satisfying. It is really, really satisfying. Um, So I think the future is going to be, you know, a blast. And and let's face it. I mean, I think 6am cemented themselves in, in music now too. I mean, when, when I, when I, when I heard life is beautiful, I was like, man, you know, there's a lot more to you than just, you know, than just Motley. That's for sure. Cause that song is, is a pretty powerful song. You know, what's really great about um, being a musician is, well, I, I would not, I would never consider myself uh, the right type of musician to be a solo artist. I can be a solo as a photographer. I love that. When I paint, I love that. When I write, I can write by myself. But with music, I used to, you know, in the er, most of Motley Crue's career, I wrote most of the songs. Uh, but I love collaboration. So, you know, if you put me and the guys in Motley together and we come up with something new like The Dirt, um, that the song for the movie. Yeah. You put me and James and DJ together. It could be in the same week and completely different sounding pieces of music happen. And so I just get excited about like plugging in with those guys, or what if I experimented with that person over there? It's not as simple as like, I'm in Motley Crue, like, but I am in Motley Crue and we're going to do a stadium tour. I mean, it's massive and something (laughs) I can't wait to do, but the brain is like, you know, like, Hey, what else could we do? Yeah. And uh, it's not about money. 
I've, I've talked a lot over the years about finance and it's not a sexy conversation. And I, at some point think I might like to maybe write like a short book on this because one of the things that bothers me is um, a guy, a girl, whoever, basketball, actor, entrepreneur, rock star, they work their whole life. From that moment in their first 21 years, they're like, I, that's what I'm going to do. And they do everything in their power and they get it. They get the whatever it is. They get the contract. They have a hot, they have hot two seasons. And then something goes awry. Something goes south. They're living beyond their means. And now they have to make decisions based on money instead of on what they spent their whole life doing. So it'd be like, if I didn't manage my money and there's been downtimes in Motley Crue's career, because that happens to all bands, music changes. One day you're the cool kid. One day no one even wants to like acknowledge your name. Then the next day you're the cool kid again. And if you can sit there and go, I can withstand this financially and keep creating, you will keep creating what's uh, honest yeah, and that's yeah. um, something for me that's been like really important is to be able to uh, not do things for money, but what I have done and made money have managed it well enough so that I could do these other kind of projects. So otherwise, you know, heroin diaries, 6 a.m. I had a radio show for eight years. There's a lot of things you just you can't afford to do. You know, so I, I enjoy that that p- passing that on as well. And I'm sure a lot of young people, it's like, shoo, right over their head. And that's okay. Um, But it's important to pass what we've learned on, you know, really is. 110%. Nikki, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I got to wrap up. They're giving me the, Will's giving me the, uh, the, the thing, but I will get that info for you for uh, what we talked about to Rose. Sounds great, man. Great great chatting with you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Dude. Right? Oh my God, I'm so jelly, but I'm so <laughs> privileged to have been able to edit that. And also, you interviewed Tommy Lee a while ago for yeah, iHeart. So we're, we, yeah. we got to get, listen, we got to get Tommy on the show, and I'm working on that already. Yeah. We have to get Tommy on the show because Tommy's a, another guy that's just a great, great conversation. So many stories, such a nice guy. And like yeah. you said, you, th- you, says he, you said he has the best, um, the best webcam that you've ever seen, right? Yeah, de- definitely best webcam and the mouth of a sailor. <laughs> so when you, <laughs> let's the, tell the, the story. Let me let me let me tell the story. So sure, go over it. I had uh, I had an interview that I did with uh, with Tommy Lee, and uh, and I was doing it for iHeart Canada, and um, so we did it, wrapped it up, gave it to Ryan to edit, and uh, I get a call back from iHeart, and they're like, "Listen, um, we're gonna have to edit that." I'm like, what do you mean by edit it? Like shorten it down? And they're like, "No, no." Every time he swears, we're gonna have to beep that out <laughs> and i had to call ryan and say ryan you've got to take every fuck out of this interview <laughs> and, like, and when you're talking about a guy's like dude fuck dude fuck fuck dude dude this fucking cool he swore, fuck. he swore 206 times i'm not Was it 206 times yeah yeah and and some scenes were edited down but it's just like it's an every five second thing like dude fuck okay so what do you do we're making this thing fuck and it was fucking awesome <laughs> well yeah. if we get we'll, 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 if we get tommy on here we'll we'll be able to let it let the the, the fuck flag fly if you will um Maybe. so <laughs> yeah so nikki six is it's it's crazy man when you when when you get a chance to to hear 
this guy talking. And I loved when he was talking about, um, you know, just his appearance and when he was in high school and, and it's just, man, it's, it's, he's, he's really easy to talk to. He's not somebody that, that talks down to you. And I love when he was saying how I I like to talk at people, not up or down at them. Mm. You know, I like to talk at them and, and it's true. And I mean, I really do believe that at where he's at in his career, he's got nothing left to prove. Like he doesn't have to do this stuff. He could, he could just spend as much time as he wants in the sun on a beach with whoever he wants to be with. He doesn't have to go out and put himself out there anymore, but I really do believe he likes the, he likes the work. He likes to do it. it no one has a career like Molly crew in a sense where the Rolling Stones have been like a rolling train, if you will. They've always yeah. been steady, you know, they're mm-hmm. huge in the sixties and seventies. And then from then on, they're the stones. Don't fuck with us. We're good. But right. when if, with Motley Crue, you got this band that blows up in the eighties and kind of like burns out right after their biggest album, Dr. Feel Good, slowly just kind of Tommy um, Vince quits the band. They try to get another guy, John Karabi, great album. Um, he, that doesn't work out. Vince eventually comes back, but it's generation swine. It's a very convoluted uh, artistic ordeal that still first tape I ever bought grateful for that but then you but then the dirt comes out and the band is huge again huge never been more popular in their lives and then that goes away and then the movie comes out it's the number one movie in the world that's decades later they pretty much have had three bouts of gigantic success they own every decade at least once this band had called it quits for touring you remember that right they signed a contract and they talk about it i didn't believe them I don't think anyone believed them. I mean, but, but they did sign a contract. They did go to all the extent of doing this. I mean, look, you know, the end, the big gravestone, the box set, (laughs) we're done. Okay. They're done. And then they're like, all right, we're going to do a biopic. Cool. Everybody wants more crew. So they Mm. were brilliant in their execution of making people want more. Yeah. Because they go out on guns blazing, biggest tour they've ever done. Tommy's drums on that tour, like that thing that he did, you know, the roller coaster through the entire arena and back. And it was just one of the best day shows I've ever seen. I mean, I went with Kevin, who's, um, you know, my guitar player and, and, and good friend and slaves on dope. And we went to that together and I, I've never seen him so excited. Like he was just like, he turned into a 15 year old kid. like, Ugh! And he'd seen them on, you know, I, I, I think he's, I know he saw them on Dr. Feelgood. I think he saw them on I think he saw them on theater of pain, but he, he, I mean, Kevin goes way back, you know, with crew. He saw them really early. I, I had a chance to see doctor, the doctor feel good tour too. And I didn't go. And I remember that like, it just, but Kevin was like, this is the best I've seen them. Like they're really, really, they were really good. So they went out on top, you know, and mm-hmm. to come back and do the biopic is one thing, but then to, you know, have the success of the biopic and have all this new generation of people dying to get into Motley Crue. Like, my son was 15 when that movie came out and he was just, all he talked about was Motley Crue. He thought it was the coolest thing. He thought wow. it was the coolest thing. So it shows you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, later in life, Motley Crue fan, like I said, uh, when, when I was 12 years old, I got that tape, but I, I only got to see Molly Crue when I was like in my early twenties yeah. and uh, that was the carnival sin. And that was their big first comeback after the book and our mutual friend, Mike Babbins, I went up to Ottawa just mm. to check them out. Cause they weren't even in Montreal yet. And we like Detroit Rock City styled our way, you know, to uh, to Ottawa to see them live. And I remember just it's phenomenal when you've never seen crew before because mm. they go all out. They bring the fire. 
they bring uh, and this was Carnival Sin. They really went all out there. That yeah. show was like three hours long. Like it was mm-hmm. insane. They their, their they, own opening act. Yeah. Well, that that's it. And and then when they did the farewell tour, it was a kind of you know the, the end tour. It was the same thing. It was just like bigger, bigger, bigger. You know, they had it was it, it was great. And and now you know there's no way you can put out the dirt movie and have all of those people that want to see this again and not do it. So when they announced the stadium tour, I was like, okay, I get yeah. it. I get it. You can break the contract. It's fine. And that's what um, Nikki talks about in the first chapter of the book. He talks about how he's at Dodger stadium and he's having a hot dog and uh, with his, with uh, his booking agent. And he's like, I never played Dodger stadium. And he's like, yeah, but you signed a contract. Like I, you can't do it. And, and he goes back to his wife and he's like, I never played Dodger stadium. Like, I, and then, Boom, you know, here we go. They're they're going to be playing Dodger Stadium in twenty twenty two. So, it's uh, it's crazy. I I I think like you, I he's always been the guy in the band that I've I always felt that he was the guy in the band that was keeping everything together creatively for sure. You know, he was the, sure. he's the heart. He's the, I don't want to say he's the heartbeat of the band because I think that band needs everybody or it's not. He's but, the brains. but he's the brains, and he's yeah. maybe maybe you could say Tommy's the heartbeat. But there, regardless, it's it's uh, you know Molly Crew's Molly Crew, and and they could stop doing everything today, and they'd still be legends. But um, I'm just glad that Nikki's still doing stuff. I'm glad that Six AM's doing music. I'm glad that they're gonna, you know, they're gonna do shows. I'm sure um, they've got that record that came out, um, which is like a greatest hits package with some new stuff on it. And that first twenty one's a good song. I'm just glad that people are still talking about Nikki Six and and Motley because they they deserve it. You know, and they, they, they definitely beat out the odds. They, they, For sure. they, they rode that wave, man. And a lot of people thought that wave was going to crash and burn. And think of all the bands that were part of that first wave with them that are defunct or people, you know, they're, they're they still, so to me, that cements them with the greats, you know, like sure. you've got, you know, you got Pink Floyd, you've got Led Zeppelin, you've got uh, the Stones, you've got the Who, you've got these great bands. And I think Motley will stand up right alongside them the fact that those four original guys still can get on stage together like almost 40 years later is actually kind of a rock and roll miracle if you really want to think about it because yeah back then i'm sure their agents even thought they'd be dead in six years and i'm yeah. literally dead, <laughs> dead, dead yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i i uh, again i i'm i'm really really grateful for um for Nikki joining us today. Uh, I know it meant a lot to you. It meant a lot to me. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks, a big, big thanks to better noise. Uh, a big thanks to, um, to RPM for helping us with that. And, uh, and again, Ryan, it's important. We have to thank prospect. If it wasn't for prospect strings, musicians wouldn't be as well taken care of as they are. And uh, you can get their stuff anywhere. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, they got a website and they will deliver to you. So do not worry. Um, if you are someone who is, is into stringed instruments and, um, and all the other things that go along with stringed instruments and more, they've got all that you need. So go check out prospect strings. Thank you, Wayne and the team over there for again, putting your confidence in us and we appreciate it. And, uh, we'd appreciate you to go check out their website because they've got some phenomenal stuff that'll blow your mind. Uh, for all of you, uh, highbrow musicians that sometimes won't go to another music store and say, they don't have what I need. Wayne will have what you need at Prospect. So make sure you check them out. Uh, also, thank you to uh, my co-host, Ryan. Uh, you're the best. I'm glad you were on a little bit more on this one. And um, I'll tell you, man, you know, I don't think I could find anybody else to talk 
Nikki Six with that would be better suited than you. So thanks. I appreciate well, it. I appreciate being part of this, Jason. We've known each other for all these years, and uh, I've always kind of been the man behind the scenes, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, pulling the curtain back and uh, making me feel like the Wizard of Oz. Well, and the other thing is, too, that you and I have had some pretty great conversations that haven't been recorded, so... I think it was about time that we start to share some of these conversations with people because they're fun. And, uh, and I've had a lot of people that, you know, that have, that have heard us talk and said, you know, you guys talk about really fun stuff. So that's what we're going to do. And if you're, uh, you know, if you're just joining the Rockman Power Hour and this is your first episode, please, please, please do all that you can to follow us because we appreciate it. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you hit that little button on the old um, YouTube. That'll tell you when we are putting out a new episode. And if you are streaming us, just subscribe and um, listen, we're going to be keeping to do these every Friday. I think that's what we agreed on, right? Every Friday. Yeah. And it's great because you could download, <laughs> you could download the episodes too. You could uh, Apple podcast. That's like my home. I love that. And I download yeah. our show. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah well, yeah and it's also and yeah. you can see us on youtube which is nice well for some people they'll enjoy it some people won't enjoy it and if you don't like looking at our faces just go to a streaming podcast app and you can just listen well, uh, if you don't like the sound <laughs> of our voices we also are mimes so yeah. yeah exactly thank you so much again um uh thanks again to our producer julia kajerski who works tirelessly behind the scenes to make sure this thing uh goes off without a hitch and uh we all know how much work she puts in uh, thank you again to H1 um, Media for our great intro. Thank you for to DMC and to uh, Epic for uh, the great theme song. And thank you again to all of you for caring because that means a hell of a lot to us. And we will see you again next week on the Rockman Power Hour. <laughs>